Hey gang, Tom Mullen here. Do you have a child who spends more time than you'd like in front of screens consuming low quality content? Well, you can turn that screen time into something fun and worthwhile. I'm talking about mini coders, an educational game-based platform including companion apps made for kids with video tutorials, virtual assistant, and games where kids learn coding skills while they play in the Roblox metaverse, all under the safety and guidance of a virtual assistant and in-game tutors. MiniCoders is perfect for homeschooled, unschooled, or traditionally schooled children alike and helps them build 21st century skills and have a ball doing so. Right now, you can try out MiniCoders with no obligation by registering for a free trial at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders. That's M-I-N-I-C-O-D-E-R-S. Again, just visit TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders and start your free trial today. Every revolution starts in the minds of the people. Arm yourself for the war of ideas. Take back your life. Take back your liberty. Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Today, my guest is Alan Mosley, a historian, jazz musician, writer, real libertarian, and most importantly, the host of It's Too Late with Alan Mosley. You might have caught my appearance on his show on Wednesday, and if you didn't, you should check out the show anyway. He's here to join me. We had so much to talk about, we thought we might have him back and just keep on going after Wednesday night. Alan, welcome to the show. Tom, thanks for having me. You guys do such a great job over there. How does one produce a libertarian late-night talk show? For me, the first thing was to start out with just your pretty typical red meat libertarian podcast and then get really bored and tired of that because... <laughs> After however many episodes we did in the course of a couple of years, you realize, and, and, and this is not to belittle the philosophy or what's going on in the world, because we did a lot of current events. We had a lot of guests on to talk about, hey, this just happened in the news. What do you think about this? But you reach a point where you realize you can only do so many episodes on inflation. You can only do so many episodes on price gouging. You can only do so many episodes on Abraham Lincoln before you realize we've done that and it's time to move on. And for me, it was, I'm getting bored. And if I'm going to do this, I got to have a good time. And I enjoyed the late night genre. But I also realized that if we're going to pivot to having a little bit more entertainment, I have on a wider variety of guests, perhaps maybe have some music, maybe do some comedy, different things is we really need to drop that L word libertarian just cut all that stuff out of all the branding remove it from all the descriptions and instead of worrying about being a libertarian podcast be a late night tv show that just so happens to be hosted by a libertarian you wouldn't believe this alan but even without mentioning the word it came across somewhat libertarian at least when i was on there and when i've watched before i saw that you're a musician and a jazz musician so i guess that means you're probably a real musician unlike the host of this show i meant to ask you the other night is that music that i hear at the beginning of the show is that your own or one of your favorite artists the intro video that wasn't my music that was music that we had made for the show and I, to be honest, I wasn't even sold on it, actually. It's one of those things where we used it because we felt like it fit, but I was on the fence. But then once you're in it, you can't change. Like once that becomes synonymous with 
the starting of the show. Then if you change it, then people get weird and they say, oh, something's different. I don't like this. I don't like change. And so it's sort of stuck. But there has been music on the show before that was performances by me. And I have on the same channel done some music performances. I ironically, as a side note for that, you would think with all the starving artists out there and all the people that are are dying to get seen and get heard and and especially in the last few years people sitting at home with their home studios or their guitars just collecting dust because they don't have anywhere to go we had actually put out a lot of feelers saying hey are you an artist are you a musician are you a comedian why don't you send us a type five why don't you send us a song we'll have it as our musical guest or performance guest on the show and you might be surprised to learn we had incredibly few people yeah i am surprised because everybody wants their music out there at least for the first hundred years of my life i'd play anywhere or send my song anywhere anybody would want it but and I'm, i remember that i think it was your hundredth episode that i saw i know you said that you have a live episode with live guests every 50 episodes and otherwise you do guests like most of us do who was the band that you had for the hundredth episode so for the hundredth though we had a band out out of Lexington, Kentucky, that was JD and the Blues Machine. And they were a group of young guys that predominantly played blues rock, really talented guys. And, and they were up for the challenge. So when I talked to them, I'd said, Hey guys, this is, I might not be on NBC or CBS, but we do this like a late night show. So if you've ever watched, if you've ever watched the tonight show or the late show that they've got the house band and when they're going to commercial break, the band's strikes up a song and they're playing as we come back in from the break and all that. And I said, so you guys are going to have to come prepare to play us in and out of all the breaks and in between all the transitions. And then you'll also be our musical guest and I'll just turn it over to you guys and you'll wrap up the show. And they were, so they're young guys and they were really excited to do it because it's just, it's an interesting setup to do it that way, to be the house band, then also be the, the musical guest for a program. And that actually was one of our most watched episodes as well. So I, I hope that really worked out for them. I'm not one of these people that just has people on for my own numbers or my own vanity. I genuinely hope that when people come on, they, they really get something uh, tangible out of it. So I hope they did. Yeah, it was a great band. And I should tell the listeners, if you haven't checked out this show, you're going to be surprised when you turn it on. It's like watching an NBC or CBS late night television show, just without all the woke nonsense, basically. And without the overbearing discussion of the non-aggression principle uh, with every guest who comes on, I was just on your show the other day and I, maybe I didn't mention the non-aggression principle, but I was probably too political, but what other kinds of guests have you had on recently? What could people expect to see when they tune in? Sure. So just really quickly, I, I just want to remind you that when you were on the show, the one question I didn't ask you because I'm, I will never ask anyone. And I openly mock hosts who ask me is how did you find Liberty? That's the worst. <laughs> That's the way to turn the podcast off. But, but anyway, we've had New York times, bestselling authors, a present company included. We've had Tom Woods, of course, on the show. We've had historians like Kevin Goodsman. We've had educational experts like Carrie McDonald, Connor. We've, of course, we've had the great former Congressman Ron Paul has been on the program before. Jeffrey Tucker has been on the show. The great Lou Rockwell, founder of the Mises Institute has been on the program. Economist, 
economists like Walter Block and Gene Epstein have been on the show before. We really ran the gamut of uh, Scott Horton, f a foreign policy expert. Scott Horton's been on the show multiple times. Uh, recently, we had Pete on for his, I think, third or fourth appearance. And then a lot of our mutual friends like Michael Bolden, Mike Meharry of the 10th Amendment Center. We've really run the gamut of a lot of the usual suspects in the Liberty community. But we also are, are always on the lookout for spreading out from that because I feel like uh, for anyone who's watched a late night show, you know how the genre works, is that you have your first half of the show, which is, is really more of a performance, and then you have your second half of the show, which is your guests and your performers who come on opposite of your host and your producers to talk about what they're doing, talk about what's going on in the world. And and that that sort of that helped to make it fresh for me. So instead of us just sitting here and talking for four hours about how we would fix Syria if we were president, we, we separated into here's an entertainment portion of the show and then here's perhaps somebody we want to showcase. But I do have to say it again, along the same line as with the musicians and the comedians and, and trying to get those people to come on. It's a bit of a challenge to transition. In our community, I love our community. There's, a, I'm very pleased to have made a lot of great friends and a lot of great connections over the last several years of having done the show. But I'm going to be honest here and say there's a lot of humorless folks in the Liberty community. They live in that eternal agony of knowing that we don't live in a free society. And there's folks out there that believe that as long as the world's not completely free, then you just can't enjoy anything in life. And what that unfortunately means is that then it becomes a limited type of guest who can appear on a show like mine because frankly I don't want a guest every week who's going to come on and preach doom and gloom. I want guests to come on and just talk about what's going on in their world. It doesn't have to be anything about politics. It can just be it can just be fun projects that you might have lined up or some interesting things you've seen on TV lately and you'll just have to ignore those tweets and comments at the bottom of your screen that say, but what does this have to do about libertarianism? Yeah, I, I think back and I'm really going to date myself because I remember when Letterman was doing stuff like the Velcro and the Alka-Seltzer suit. You'd, I don't know if that's before your time or not, but he would jump off a trampoline and get stuck to the wall and stuff like that. And I don't know what that has to do with inflation or the non-aggression principle, but it was sure entertaining. And I'd love to see stuff like that again. That's one of the things that our criticism of the left is that they're not funny anymore. Saturday Night Live was always funny and nobody was safe. Left, right, center, whatever. They were going after you. And I shared a spot from right after the financial crash. And I can't remember the actors playing the characters, but someone was on there playing Pelosi and someone was playing Barney Frank. And there was a guy doing Bush that was just hilarious. He had that squinty eye facial expression down and everything. And it was just hilarious. And I'm sure I don't agree with anybody on that stage as far as politics go, but boy, they could really do their jobs. And we got to make sure that we don't become those people just wagging our fingers and people are like, okay, I agree with that, but I, I want to go watch some baseball now or something or football. I think there's a whole thing about football now with their political bent, but you and I still watch it. Yeah, exactly. If all we did was keep a, keep a list of all the actors, all the athletes, all the organizations that had contracts with the federal government who were sponsors of foreign entities that we didn't like or who had promoted the content of people we didn't like, if you did that, you would quickly find that there's basically nothing to consider. Or people who are guilty by association. To your point about Saturday Night Live is I feel like the disconnect there is when you you had a, a left liberal 
Hollywood uh, entertainment associations, etc., that felt like they were speaking truth to power when they themselves were not in power, then they hit all the right notes. But uh, as as I'm sure our criticisms of both media, tech, journalists, and Hollywood, if you consider yourself to be speaking truth to power today, and your truth just so happens to be the company line of the regime and big pharma, then that's that's not speaking truth to power. It's right. speak you know, the, the the way when we wax philosophical with our rosy colored glasses on about some of the people who influenced us that were brave and courageous and said and did things, even if they were just a comedian and made jokes, but they were making jokes of powerful people. When you're doing that of people in the highest seats of authority, then you truly are brave and courageous. But also, by the way, it should be funny. It's not good enough to just, there's an old Norm MacDonald who passed not that long ago, who I loved. He had a great quote about this, is that the, wor the worst thing about entertainers today is that they're trying to get claps, not laughs. It's easy for someone like a Bill Maher, or, and he actually made fun of Dennis Miller too, and he's been around for a long time. These, the John Stewarts of the world, the Stephen Colbert's, the Jimmy Kimmel's, that they want to say something that gets the audience to nod and clap in approval. But that's not a comedian's job. Comedians are supposed to make you laugh. Yeah. I think I saw the same interview because he also said they want to be the smart guy. Like Bill Maher wants you to think he's smart. And Dennis Miller, he goes, I want to be the dumb guy because people think the dumb guy is funny. And of course, he's probably smarter than both of them, but he plays the the role he plays because you're there to entertain people. So yeah, I think I saw that one. What was coming to mind, this is probably not up your musical alley. I think I might've mentioned him on your show as well as I discovered. So I started listening to Social Distortion in the late 80s, early 90s. Just loved them. I've always loved them. They don't have that many albums for that many years, but they have five or six or seven that are just beginning to end for me are great. The last one they did was a little more bluesy, blues rock than their previous ones were all rockabilly with distortion. That's how I would describe it. And this one was a little bluesier, the machine gun blues and all that. But they have a song called Give Me the Sweet and Lowdown. And I had never seen the video and this thing, YouTube's algorithm decided Tom should see this and it served it up. And I swear, this is like a work of art. It's really the best music video I've ever seen. It doesn't follow the lyrics of the song exactly, but it tells this whole other story that's just really moving. And, and I'm sitting there thinking that this guy is, oh, he's a lefty. He's the you know, racism, blah, blah, blah. But boy, what an artist. And yeah, that's what you have to do. I think a lot of uh, libertarians too, like George Carlin, and they just look past for some reason, just for him, that he was very anti-business. And I don't mean corporatist. I don't mean, he was just anti-business period, even if you do it the right way. So, okay, but he's still really funny and he still does say a lot of good things. And I'm just so glad I got to see him live before he passed away. I got to see him in the early nineties, I think, but who, who are your comedic influences besides McDonald? For specifically for the late night genre, my absolute favorite late night host of the really big ones over the last several decades. I liked in the war between Letterman and Leno. I was definitely a David Letterman guy. I, I actually don't even understand how people can like Jay Leno, to be honest with you, but. Oh, we got to talk about that. But go ahead. Yeah, I was a Letterman guy. But in terms of how I emulate my program is Craig Ferguson. 
So Craig Ferguson, who was the Scottish guy who had the late show after Letterman for however many years he did it, and he uh, he finally retired, and he was replaced by the British fellow that they have now that I can't even remember his name off the top of my head. He's just so cringe and terrible. But Ferguson was great because he was not exactly the polished late-night type genre that you would expect. And instead of trying to become that, he worked to deconstruct the whole platform. He, he had a late-night show, but he didn't really do it quite like anybody else. And uh, finally, when he got a sidekick, he didn't go out and get someone like Ed McMahon. He got a voice actor named Josh Robert Thompson who sat backstage and he was voicing a, a skeleton robot, a gay skeleton robot named Jeff Peterson. And it was being voiced by Scott Robert Thompson backstage. And they also had Secretariat, the horse, but of course it was just two people in a horse costume. And if you'd never seen the show before and you're hearing this explanation right now, you're thinking, I can't visualize, what are you talking about? I can't visualize what this is. And the answer is that it was a late night show. It was still a guy behind, sitting at a desk with a couple of ferns behind him in a faux stage, similar to the one behind me right now, with his, with his sidekick off to one side and his, and his fake horse off to the other side. And it was, but the formula was still there. You still have your monologue and then a break and then you still you have your desk one which is maybe you're answering some tweets and emails maybe you're doing something with the audience maybe you're telling an anecdote and then after that segment's done now you're on to we're going to talk to our celebrity guests but the the beautiful thing about that was is bringing on the celebrity guests to talk to them about whatever movie they're plugging that was the worst part of the show Nobody, it, it was, it's easy to say, I'm, I don't really care to watch Leno. I'm just going to watch it because my favorite, you know, performer is on and I want to see their gig. I've stayed up before and watched a, a show I didn't care to watch because I was just staying up to see someone I, I like to perform. But when you're watching Ferguson, I just watch the first 30 minutes and turn it off because I don't really care what Halle Berry or Tom Cruise have to say about the environment. I just want to see Craig performing filling this character role and it's basically like he's doing theater every single night he's pretending to be a late night host and i've actually i've told people that on my show is that sometimes when people will watch the show and they'll be like why well, this isn't the alan that i had envisioned or i met alan and this doesn't see anything anything like him and as i tell him what well, because i'm perf i'm playing the character of alan mosley the late night talk show host as opposed to Alan Mosley, the angry, bitter, cynical <laughs> libertarian who, who hates the government. Let's take a short break for this important message. Most people consider it a fact of life that prices are going to go up over time, and they've never gone up as fast as they are right now. But what if I told you it wasn't always like that? That for over 100 years, prices went down in America, even as the economy became more productive. Well, it's true. And as much as we like to blame the president when the economy is bad, presidents really have very little effect on our modern economy. The real culprit behind not only price inflation, but the constant booms and busts we suffer is the Federal Reserve System. My new book, It's the Fed, Stupid, is an appeal to Americans across the political spectrum to stop focusing on things that don't make a difference and start focusing on what does. Whether you're worried about constantly rising prices, wage stagnation, increasing wealth and income inequality, or the massive expansion of the government's size and power, 
They can all be traced back to an institution the powerful would prefer you ignored. Download a free copy of my new ebook, It's the Fed Stupid, at itsthefedstupid.com and find out what you should really be fighting against. And now, back to our episode. You work on the answer, then you quietly save the day. You were right, Mr. Spock, about everything you said. We humans just aren't logical. When you mentioned Jay Leno, okay, so I thought I was alone in the world on this, and I don't know anything about comedy. I, I know what I like, and it's not that. But here's what I see when I see Leno. I mean, I know other people write the jokes, same thing for Letterman, but he doesn't seem to be able to deliver one. He doesn't seem to have the timing, and he keeps doing this thing all the time where he'd deliver the punchline, and then he would say it again and just suck all the, the life out of it. How does he hit you? Am I onto something here? You must know more about this than I do. So when they brought on, because this, because every, for people who are old enough, they remember the whole controversy of it's always presumed that whoever has the late night is going to get the Tonight Show. And that was David Letterman, but he didn't get it when Carson retired. They gave it to Leno. And at the end, in hindsight, now we look back on it and we realize instead of me judging and just saying that was stupid, Letterman was better, which I agree with, is try to understand why they made the decision they made and why did they do it? Leno was the guy because he was safe. He was the guy that made all the celebrities feel good, that was good at flashing a fake smile and patting all the little celebrities on their head and say, yes, your movie won't tank at the box office. I'm sure it'll be great. <laughs> and he would tell jokes, but they would be done in such a way that they wouldn't quite be risque or not enough. It was safe. You could, you could, it, general audiences could like it. But with someone like a David Letterman, and of course, you fast forward to now, and David Letterman is muted compared to some of the more shocking type comedy you have out there now. But compared to someone like a Jay Leno, Dave's a little bit rough around the edges. He's a little bit more likely to go off script. He's a little bit more likely to tell people what he really thinks about them. And that wasn't safe enough for NBC to give him The Tonight Show. Of course, he went to CBS and had an incredibly successful show for decades. So obviously, it would. It, I, I somehow doubt that it would have worked out poorly if they'd gone with David Letterman because he had a great career. But Letterman, again, compared to South Park, David Letterman is not controversial. But in the world of late night where you had the Allens and the Carsons of the world, someone like a David Letterman coming on. And even if there's a 1% chance that he's going to look this random celebrity guest in the face and say, well, that sounds really stupid. Who would want to watch that? They don't want that. They don't want that in safe network TV. And same thing, funny enough, Ferguson fell into the same the same identity as Letterman. Of course, he worked for Letterman. He was on the show after Letterman in that celebrities either really loved him or really hated him. And if you wonder how can that be, it's because the celebrities that actually have a brain, like they're capable of autonomous thought, they have, they're self-aware and they can come on and talk about things other than the latest gag they did with Carrot Top. You know, those people loved Craig Ferguson because Craig Ferguson would talk to them like human beings. But you know what? The celebrities that came on with a little cue card that said, my agent said, this is what we're talking about and let's stick to the notes. Those people hated Craig Ferguson. And so Letterman was the earlier generation of that concept. That makes so much sense. Believe it or not, I have never thought of it the way you just said it because I was just mystified being at the time, I can't remember what decade this was, the 90s maybe, in my 20s or early 30s. 
it just seemed like a no brainer. But Letterman's just so much better than this guy. But of course, if I'm their target audience, maybe a guy my age now <laughs> is what they want. Maybe I think, I don't know about him, at least back then. I don't know if you remember, it was when he went to CBS soon after that, or maybe it was the first show. He had a 20th anniversary on late night or 25th anniversary, something like that. And he had all these people calling in and he had Paul Newman with the fake guns. Do you remember that or no? I vaguely remember that. Yeah. And I just remember that he had Osama bin Laden call in. <laughs> which was really funny because they show bin Laden and they show his lips moving. And of course they have a guy voicing him and he says, uh, yes, David, I want to congratulate you on 25 years and late night and the congratulations. And, and then stops for and he goes, oh, and uh, death to America. Yeah. So I'll give you another small example that illustrates the, the dynamic perfectly. As you look at someone like Jimmy Kimmel. Now, Jimmy Kimmel wasn't always Jimmy Kimmel, right? He used to be on The Man Show. They used to have gags, let's get women with large bosoms to jump up and down on trampolines because that makes for good television. That's who Jimmy Kimmel was at one point in his career. As a, He was closer to Johnny Knoxville than he was Jay Leno. I, I think that's very fair to say. Maybe I'm being too generous. But then you look at him now. He's the weaselly guy who breaks into tears every time someone says something bad about the regime and he feels the need to defend the, the party platform. And you're just and, – and the moral of the story being – so first of all, he's over there on ABC. So he's not exactly getting The Tonight Show. It's just there, – there are layers to this game. But even in that world, the Jimmy Kimmel that – that existed when the Jimmy Kimmel that was 28 would have never gotten a Jimmy Kimmel show on ABC. He only got that show because he proved that he could be Leno. Like I'm sure if you talk to Leno in person, you would find him to be probably a personable and, and intelligent guy. who's probably pretty funny and pretty quick on his feet. I don't think you get to be where he was in his career without having those qualities. But what he also proved more than Letterman is that he could smile and he could nod and he can do what he was told and he could sign off on whatever the network said, and he could follow the rules and all those things that Letterman sometimes <laughs> sometimes struggled to follow the rules. Kimmel, Kimmel started off in a career where you would think to yourself, there's just no way this guy is going to clean up and, and fly straight. But obviously, behind closed doors, unbeknownst to you and me, he clearly proved himself to, to the networks that uh, I can play ball. I can be nice. I can do what I'm told. I can stay on script. And that's why he's now in, in prime time or in late night doing a talk show. But again, it always just circles back around to the Norm McDonald's of the world are not getting those gigs. Not that he wouldn't necessarily want it, but they're not getting those gigs. And it's not because they're not the funniest. So take yourself out of the equation of who's the funniest, who can deliver the joke best. They should get it. That's not who gets it because those guys aren't getting those gigs. The people that are getting those gigs are funny enough asterisk next to enough but they do what they're told but when in in popular art and music and comedy and all creativity when have the most influential people that you looked up to that's molded your art and your activity when has it been the people that did what they were told and were safe yeah i agree with you but i really see your point though about the lenos of the world and I know you got to run, but let me ask you two more. Number one, what do you think of Conan O'Brien as a late night host? Conan's an interesting guy because after that whole spat with him getting The Tonight Show and then him losing it shortly thereafter, and we we can go into the weeds about how and why that happened another time, but 
the thing was is that I'm very conflicted on him. Because on the one hand, I didn't like how things went down. He solidified himself as a cult legend by doing his last show there where he said he didn't want people to be bitter and cynical. He just wanted people to work hard and amazing things would happen. And then they literally play Freebird with Will Ferrell. And that's the end of The Tonight Show with Conan O'Brien. Talk about having the balls to go out there on your final show. And instead of it being melancholy or goodbye Conan will miss you is to be inspiring and grateful and and what a great message that is because for young people because his audience really trended younger I would say than the average late night show host but the reason why I'm conflicted is because while I'm sad for him that things didn't work out that way I also could tell you that maybe some of that was of his own doing and I don't mean because he was too risque and young people liked him. I actually mean it the opposite. If you go back and look at Conan, when he was on Late Night, when it was Late Night with Conan O'Brien, he was a lot more Conan. If, if Conan is an adjective, he was a lot more Conan on Late Night with Conan O'Brien than he was on The Tonight Show. You could tell in the very first episode of The Tonight Show he did, you could tell he was reining it in. Yeah, and as soon as I saw that, I thought, "Oh, this isn't going to go. This isn't going to go well because you're he's in that terrible middle ground where the network's not happy because he's not rating it in enough, and Conan fans aren't happy because they're looking at him saying, "Who is this man? This isn't the guy that I like." And so he lost everybody. And of course, we need not shed shed any tears for Conan O'Brien because he's gone on to be perfectly fine and has had a great career. But when he was on the late when he was on the late night show, he was good. When he bumped up, when he got a little bit older and moved up to The Tonight Show, he wasn't as good. And I say that as a guy who I liked him the way he was before. It's, I don't know, if it's one of those things where maybe there's just an evolution to the art form and to the genre and to the space. But then again, I don't think too much about that because we know that so much of this is dominated by network control that we don't know what kind of show Conan O'Brien would have done if NBC wasn't telling him what to do. For, uh, to be fair, we don't know what kind of show Jay Leno would do if Jay Leno wasn't being told what to do. I'm, I'm trying to be as generous of my interpretation of that as possible. The reason I asked is that I never watched his show, never watched anything he did, and I canceled cable in June of 2020, and then I wasn't watching any shows. And... Then, like I said, I subscribed to some things like your show on YouTube and YouTube started serving me up some segments. And I thought, boy, I kind of like some of the things I saw from Conan O'Brien. And I never really even gave him a, a single thought because maybe just the way he looked, I thought this guy's going to be vanilla, blah, 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 but not at all. And he's a musician. So got to give him a little credit for that. So do you see anything out there that you like now? Is there any hope? Other than it's too late with Alan Mosley. That's such a tough question because even when I was sitting here thinking about your question of just the comedians that are out there, what's so tough is are there comedians that I have liked? Absolutely. Do I like them now? That's a tougher question. You brought up George Carlin, and I actually tend to think George Carlin is one of the most painfully overrated comedians there ever were. Really? Partly because – and I believe that partly because – there's so many iconic quotes and clips of Carlin that people like to share, specifically in our community, and that's all great. But if I remove myself from that 
if I take a, a wide angle look at it and say, okay, but how much am I laughing? Or is, is he telling jokes or is he just ranting 24 seven? And would I, would I think that this was anywhere near as entertaining if I didn't agree with some of his perspectives? And I come back to, no, it's not that funny. He's not being a good comedian. And I compare that to say someone like a Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle says things we agree with, but he also says things we don't agree with. But even then, he was funnier before than he is now. Take Louis C.K. Of course, Louis C.K. got in trouble. He had his little, he had his little, he had his 15 minutes of fame, and then he had his 15 minutes of scorn and, and derision because he got in trouble with the wrong. But I've watched his most recent comedy special called Sorry. Since he's come back, he's done a comedy special, and he addresses the controversy a little bit in it, but otherwise he moves on. And you know what, Tom? It's just nowhere near as funny. Yeah. And it breaks my heart. It really does, because these are some of the guys that I'm like, these are the fun. These are the funniest guys in my era or generation of comedy, and they were good. And I wouldn't, I, I don't know if I would say they're bad now. I don't think anyone in their right nine can look at Dave Chappelle and say, oh, he sucks. Don't listen to him. I think that would be disingenuous. But they're not as good. They're not as good when they were making their fortune as they are now protecting their fortune, if that makes sense. And it's just such and – I, and I say that with – it's such a shame. It really is. If I was going to give one more, I'd say Bill Burr, which is the same boat of I don't agree with everything Bill Burr says, but we agree with some of it. Yeah, I think he's still young enough and still hungry enough that he still is willing to push the buttons and say and do things that really challenges people and challenges their positions, and it comes off as humorous. So I think he's pretty good. But on the whole, I really just if, – if someone was saying, hey, Alan, what should I tune in to watch tonight other than us? I'd say, God, I, I don't know because all the people that have the thrones of the official – the official positions of authority on TV or film, God, they just either they either they suck and they always have, or they were good and are less good, and it, in some ways that's worse. Real fast, not to change your mind on George Carlin, but I will say this, and this goes back to what we were talking about when we first came on, which is I think a lot of the libertarians would play the clips like when he talks about not voting, and that one when he's much older and ranting about how you have owners and all that stuff. When I think of George Carlin, I don't think of that at all. The first thing that comes to my mind when I think of George Carlin is stuff about the airplane. Please check in and around your seat for anything you might have brought on board. I might have brought my Arrowhead collection, but I didn't. Those kinds of things. And the thing with the dog and the cat or <laughs> the cat never takes any blame for stuff. That's the kind of thing where I thought George Carlin was great. And he would say, that's what a comedian's job is, to remind you of things you didn't notice the first time around. And then I think you're right. When he goes on those rants, sometimes there's some humor, but there's stretches there where it's like not a comedy show anymore. So point well taken. It's such a, it's a very thin, blurry line. And it's something that I deal with myself. Look, I do my show. NBC's not exactly knocking down my door. And it's and even myself with every single week that we produce an episode, I'm always pouring over my notes and thinking to myself, am I getting too political here or am I getting too silly here? Is, if, am I trying to say something funny, but it's only funny in my head and the audience is saying, Jesus, what's the guy talking about? Um, and vice versa, am I, am I talking about something that's important to me and the audience is thinking to themselves, Jesus, he was funny five minutes ago, now he's preaching. Now, look, I ask myself those questions all the time. I think it's really hard to do. 
it's really hard to find that balance. I, f I feel like it's one of those things that when you see it. No, I totally feel you because I have no idea either if people are liking what they're hearing. I, I just look at the downloads and that's not always even the greatest indication because you don't know why someone didn't see something or whatever. So, and it really is weird in a virtual world with no audience. So now you're out here, like you said, you're talking in a room by yourself. You've got a producer in some other state and whatever you're doing over there, I'm not just telling you because you came on the show, you're doing a good job because when I watch it, it looks good to me and, and I enjoy the show. I recommend everybody check it out. How do they do that? What's the best way to subscribe to your show? So first of all, I would say we do have it in podcast form. If you don't like to watch things and you like to just binge listen to things while you're working out or on the road, you can do that on your favorite podcasting platform of choice. Thanks to Anchor. It's just Anchor FM or Anchor.fm slash Alan Mosley TV. But you can you can search It's Too Late with Alan Mosley TV on every platform. You'll find it. And as for video, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Odyssey, Twitch, everything. It's Alan Mosley TV. YouTube, Alan Mosley TV. Facebook, Alan Mosley TV. Twitter, Alan Mosley TV. Odyssey, Alan Mosley TV. That's the easiest way to find it on all platforms to search It's Too Late with Alan Mosley or Alan Mosley TV. And I'll make one more because you'd brought it up a little bit ago. Yes, doing a show like that without a live audience is tough because you're putting your faith in the screen and in the camera that they're that what you're doing is translating to them and they're enjoying it and you don't really know until after the fact but once a year since basically year one we've done one live annual we did one at episode 50 one at 100 one at 150 where we had a live audience live music and it was it's exhilarating i can definitely see how people get addicted to that sort of thing but i can also tell you having put in the work to do a show like that how these guys do it five nights a week is beyond me. Of course, I know what the answer is, is they have a hundred people <laughs> doing it with them. Whereas with us, it's just me, just me, or just me and Dave. And this year, it's June 4th. The fourth annual It's Too Late live show is June 4th here in Middle Tennessee. All right. I'll look forward to that. Everybody else, check out this show. I can't say enough about it. You're going to be surprised how well done it is, how well produced, and the on-air talent who was good enough to join me today. Alan, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Tom. Okay, friends, that's going to do it for today. If you haven't already, don't forget to download a free copy of my new ebook, It's the Fed Stupid, at itsthefedstupid.com. And if you like the music you've heard on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can hear more at TomMullenSings.com. Thanks for listening. The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.